Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway. I'm not making up. They're actually going to handcuff and fingerprint and make him do the perp walk. Their former president, Donald Trump. Maybe their future president. And maybe that's what they are worried about. The more unbeatable Donald Trump seems to be given the cataclysmic mental decline of the geriatric Joe Biden and the, well, how shall I put it, intellectually challenged vice president who will more or less automatically take his place when they shuffle him off in a bath chair to the funny farm. Given the parlous state of the Democratic Party in the United States, a victory for Donald J. Trump in the next presidential election was beginning to look well nigh impossible to stop. And so they've come up with a wheeze of a sex finance case, whether or not things were put down as legal fees when they were in fact hush money to some broad that uh, Donald Trump used to allegedly lay down with. They're going to charge him in the district of Manhattan. What could possibly go wrong? Well, of course, peace and calm and amity could break out in the United States at the site of a man supported by at least half of the electorate of the United States being put in handcuffs and made to do the perp walk. Calm could be one outcome. Or total chaos could be another outcome. But there is a third, that as Elon Musk predicted on his platform Twitter, it could be handing Donald Trump not just a victory in 2024, but a landslide victory, maybe even one from a prison cell. Now that would confirm the banana republic status of a country that's built on a giant Ponzi scheme and yet is handing out hundreds of billions of dollars to a country so far away that nobody in the United States, even in the political bubble, could possibly pronounce, spell, or even find on a map the places that they're funding the fighting in. Ask them if they know where Bakhmut is. They don't even know whether it's an important battlefield or not. They told us it was when they were rushing supplies to the front. Strategically vital, the New York Times told us. Now that it's been lost, it's of no strategic importance. The same New York Times tells us. But they don't know where Bakhmut is, what it is. They don't know if you eat, drive, or lick it. 
It's just a name in Eastern Europe that they have elevated to a matter of such dire principle that the entire future of the existence of mankind on this planet must be tied to it. As I often ask you, are you ready for your son to die over which side of a line Kopiansk is on when it's been in four different countries in the last 100 years? Well, actually, it turns out it doesn't matter whether you're ready to die for it or not. The people that run your countries have already decided that you may very well have to die for it. Or die for Taiwan. If I knew a town in Taiwan, I would now throw it onto the table. It would help me rhetorically. But I literally do not know a single town or city in Taiwan. It's a small island which is part of China. Not according to me, but according to the British government, according to the American government, according to the European Union, according to the United Nations, according to every country in the world, bar 12 satrapies of the United States. One of them, Honduras, just jumped ship, de-recognized Taiwan and re-recognized China. Washington was furious. But Honduras was only doing exactly what the United States did after Richard Nixon and Henry Kissinger made their famous visit to Chairman Mao in Beijing and immediately de-recognized Taiwan and recognized China as one country with its capital in Beijing. So why they're getting so angry at little Honduras is a bit hard to discern, but then They created riots in Georgia when the Georgian government tried to implement a law which was written in the United States, which requires people working for foreign entities in the field of NGO work and politics and human rights and all the rest of it. They literally took the wording of the United States law and tried to implement it. And according to the government of the United States, this was a grievous blow against freedom and democracy. I'll be speaking on their freedom and democracy at a conference in Beijing in this coming few days. And we'll be bringing Wednesday's mother of all talk shows direct from Beijing to you. And that's one of the issues we'll be talking about. Imran Khan's life is in danger. I've been saying that to you for months. Many accused me of hyperbole. Many said it was merely a common or garden request by the police and the courts for Prime Minister Imran Khan to present himself in court. Some fools said, well, you know, Benazir and even the Shahid Zulfikar Ali Bhutto, they presented themselves in court. Yeah, and look what happened to them. Both of them were murdered by the very same people that intend to murder Imran Khan. Imran puts it more diplomatically. He says they're trying to put him in jail so he can't run in the elections. But that won't work, you see, because if the elections are free and fair, then Imran Khan's party will win a landslide victory, whether 
Imran is behind bars or not. And with that landslide victory, he'll be sprung from jail. And whether or not he is the prime minister or the president, he's the leader. And he'll change many things, including jailing the absconding thieves who now infest the so-called cabinet of Pakistan. So do you think they're going to risk that? Imran plainly thinks so. I pray to God that he is right. But I think differently because I've been in this play before. I tried to save the life of Zulfikar Ali Bhutto. I prayed all night when Benazir left Dubai to return to Pakistan for her safety and I knew in my heart that they were going to murder her and I know in my heart that they're going to try to murder Imran Khan. There's only one way this can be stopped and that is for millions upon millions upon millions of people in Pakistan to exercise people power to overthrow the usurpers, the illegal foreign imported criminal class that has been placed in this puppet regime installed by the United States of America. And there will be no need for any violence because if enough millions come out onto the streets of Pakistan, the ordinary Jawan will stop firing. In fact, if he doesn't stop firing, he'll run out of bullets and then the people will disarm him to be sure. But I have enough faith in the ordinary soldiers of the Pakistan army that they will not shoot down millions of their people. But that's the only way to save Imran Khan. Now, it is the 20th anniversary of the Iraq war, which killed a million people and counting, both in the invasion, during the occupation as a matter of deliberate policy, the occupying powers pursuing a deliberate policy of divide and rule between Sunni and Shia, Arab and Kurd, set the Iraqi people against each other, the better themselves to keep control of the country and steal its things. And then, of course, there came the development first of a strengthened Al-Qaeda. Uh, you'll remember I said to Tony Blair uh, in the weeks before the war, there are no Al-Qaeda in Iraq, but if you and Bush invade them, there'll be a 100,000 Al-Qaeda in Iraq. And how I underestimated that. And then, of course, the birth of something even more monstrous, murderously monstrous than Al-Qaeda, the so-called Islamic State, which cascaded across Iraq and Syria, as the name suggests, but then fanned out across the entire world, including onto our own streets, exploding themselves in places like the Manchester Arena, murdering innocents on London Bridge and elsewhere in London, murdering people at Christmas markets in Germany and in Belgium and in France, massacres 
taking place all over the world directly as a result of a war which was a crime and a blunder and which was easily predicted and predictable as such, including by myself and including directly to the face of one of the war criminals, Tony Blair himself. This level of criminality and the disaster which has ensued with murder and mayhem still in Iraq 20 years later is certainly deserving of a hearing at the Hague for war crimes, for crimes against humanity. And my heart leapt when I heard the news that charges had been filed at the Hague for war crimes. On the 20th anniversary, I thought to myself, they've waited a long time, but they have picked exactly the right date, 20th anniversary. Let's see Bush and Blair in court. But of course, it's not Bush or Blair or Alistair Campbell or any of the other war criminals that are going to The Hague. It's Vladimir Putin. <laughs> yes, it's the Russians they're going to put on trial for war crimes. Not themselves, not Bush, not Blair, not Netanyahu, not Sarkozy, not Obama, not Clinton, no, Putin. You, could, you just couldn't make this level of cynicism up. The United States welcomed this decision of the ICC, even though the United States refuses to join the ICC, even though John Bolton made it clear that they would arrest the judges of the ICC if they attempted to put on trial any American for war crimes committed in Iraq or Afghanistan. In fact, if I'm not remembering it incorrectly, Bolton actually said to one of the judges, we know where you live. We know where your children work. And then the United States Congress passed a law called the Invasion of the Hague Act. Trust me, I'm not making this up. They passed a law giving themselves the power to invade the Netherlands if The Hague attempted to put any American on trial in front of the ICC. But they are welcoming the decision to put Vladimir Putin on trial. What can you say about this grotesque level of cynicism? The only proper response is to laugh at it. What a pity that we have to laugh in the face of the only international criminal court that we have ever been able to institute. But the German government is taking it very seriously. One of the German ministers has just said, if Vladimir Putin sets foot in Germany, we will arrest him. Really? I'll tell you what, Mr. Minister, Herr Minister, 
if Vladimir Putin sets foot in Germany, you'll not be in any position to arrest him. He'll be arresting you and liberating Berlin once again. How about that then, Herr Minister? The truth is, all of these foreign invasions and occupations have been a catastrophe, but that doesn't stop them trying it over and over again. Twelve years ago, NATO invaded Libya. Why? For what? To put Al-Qaeda and ISIS in power in Tripoli and to empower them to do the kind of mass murder that they did in the Manchester arena. Why? How was that in your interest? How was that in our interest? How was it in the interest of the people of Libya? Afghanistan, 20 years we labored. We murdered thousands. We lost thousands of our own people, their lives, their limbs, their minds. We spent a trillion of our own treasure only to hand it back to the very same people that we invaded 20 years before to drive out. Syria, we tried it all again. We tried to put ISIS and Al-Qaeda in control of Damascus, right next to Israel, on the Mediterranean, a European lake. What could possibly have gone wrong with that? The lunatics didn't just take control of the asylum 20 years ago. They are still running the asylum. And they're trying to take you to war, not with a broken-backed banana republic like Iraq or like Libya. No, they want to take you to war with hypersonically intercontinentally ballistic missile powerful nuclear superpowers at the same time Russia and China as Mr. Churchill famously once said in another context up with this we shall not put will we because if we do put up with it if you do allow these people to drag you over that cliff. You deserve it. You deserve everything that's going to happen to you. That's my point of view. You can tell me yours. This is a university after all. And unlike many universities, you are free to speak back to the teacher. Stay tuned. I'll be right back. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway. I told you right at the top in the last seven days, 1,147,000 people have watched all or part of the mother of all talk shows. Thank you kindly to each and every one of you. It seems that you are bringing others to the table and keep doing it, please. One day I want to be able to say the words two million in that context. And we've got a poll going, which has 15,519 votes so far. Will the arrest of President Trump produce a calm, B, chaos. C, a Trump landslide. You can vote on my Twitter feed, on the YouTube, on my Telegram channel, t.me forward slash George Galloway, or on the YouTube community poll. Now, a comrade of mine for 40 years, fighting for justice and freedom throughout the Arab world, was with me side by side in my battle with millions of you to try and halt the war which began 20 years ago, more or less exactly. He is the greatest of all Arab journalists. Some say he's the last Arab journalist. He is the editor-in-chief of the newspaper Rai Al-Yum. He is the one and only Barry, Abdul Barry Atwan. Barry, welcome. It is a pleasure to be with you, George, as you are very enthusiastic, very fearful, you know, very fair as usual, and very sparkling also. So it is my pleasure to be with you, my brother. Most kind, most kind. Uh, I think we first spoke on a platform together 40 years ago um, when we were both young men, but we haven't lost our zeal, as people are about to find out from you. As you look back, on the great crime uh, that was committed 20 years ago. What are your feelings and how would you summarize the feelings across the Arabs as a whole? 
You know, George, uh, what is happening now, uh, you know, about 90%, if not more, of the Iraqi regretting the day, actually, they stand against the government and supported the invasion and destruction of Iraq. Personally, I wasn't surprised that this war actually was to destroy Iraq. You have to remember, and I'm sure you do remember, Iraq was under starving sanction for at least 12 years before the invasion and before actually the destruction of the country. Uh, About a million people, most of them children, died because of starvation, because of the sanction. And Madeleine Albright, the foreign minister in that time, justified these deaths of children and people, say that the job deserved that and more. So now when you look at the Iraq, situation, when you look at the Iraq people, when you read the stuff saying that $880 billion of Iraq money were stolen, actually uh, taken away in foreign banks in Switzerland and other countries. If you look at the situation in Iraq, there is no proper running water, there is no electricity, the people are still starving despite Iraq is exporting about 5 million barrels of oil a day. It is destruction wherever you look at the situation. They told us that, and they told you also, they told both of us, uh, George, and BBC, ITV, Channel 4, that Iraq will be prosperous. Iraq will be envy of by the most of the Arab uh, people. Iraq will be the you know example and symbol of democracy in the Arab world. I remember. I'll tell you something. Maybe you you know. One day I was invited by Andrew Neil in his show on the BBC, and he said, "Well, Mr. Atwan, now your Saddam Hussein is defeated. We are there in Iraq." Uh, what 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 we believe Iraq will be, as I said, you know, the most, or as he said, the most prosperous country in 18 months' time. I said to him, and Diana Apot was there, and uh, Michael Portillo was there. I said to him, um, Andrew, Iraq in 18 years will be star- will be starving, and it will be anarchy, and it will be actually very very backward country, and the, you know the Iraq, the stable Iraq will disappear for. He said, no. I said, okay, invite me in 18 months time and let us say who is saying the right thing and who is saying the wrong thing. I have been waiting for this interview for 18 years, for 20 years now. He never invited me. (laughs) This is the the lies of the media in this country. They actually deceived people. Uh, Iraq is actually, after the invasion, another million people were killed million by by the the American bombing of that country. Why they did that to Iraq? Because Iraq has the genes of of, uh, empire. Iraq was very stable. Iraq was very strong. Iraq got the two uh, important things, actually, oil and water, which many countries in the Middle East and the whole world lack. They were scared of Iraq. George, this actually so-called Arab Spring, wouldn't succeed. This conspiracy wouldn't succeed if Iraq was strong, if Iraq was actually uh, not not actually what's happening now, if the Iraqi army was there. The, you know, they destroyed Iraq under the huge uh, uh, deception called uh, weapon of mass destruction. Where are they? You know, 
personally, I don't believe anything like what they are saying nowadays. And freedom of expression in this country disappeared. You know, you know, Gary Lineker actually exposed them and I supported him. You know, people here in this country I came to, I took refuge in this country in order to express my, my views, my free views. You know, Gary Lineker could not express his, his, his opinion. I cannot express my opinion. I am uh, deprived from appearing in any of the uh, English or American channels and in, in, in the whole world. So you can see that it is lies. Lies when they actually invaded Iraq. Lies now when they are talking about Ukraine. Lies now when they are actually talking and deceiving their own people. They didn't just invade it for its oil and water. Uh, the, there are other Arab countries they would never invade that have oil and, and water. They didn't invade it because it was a dictatorship. There are many Arab dictatorships, most of them very friendly to us. They invaded it because it was a sovereign country that didn't yes. follow their orders. Whether you like their government or not, it was a real government. It was a real state that could not be ordered to do this or that. That's the truth of it, isn't it? Yes, because Iraq actually has a very solid uh, actually uh, infrastructure because they removed or put an end to illiteracy in the country and the, the UNESCO celebrated of that because they were concentrating on uh, rebuilding a, a country to be sovereign, as you mentioned, because its leader refused to be actually on the American conspiracy, supporting the American conspiracy to make Israel a superpower and to actually deprive the Palestinian people of their legitimate right of independent, of actually, yeah, 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 just uh, justice and uh, prosperous life. This is the problem. He, if Saddam Hussein actually said yes to America, if he said yes to Israel and Israeli crimes, I think he wouldn't be invaded. Look, most of the Arab countries are dictatorship. Why they don't invade them? Why they invaded Libya, for example? Why they destroyed Libya? Why they removed Gaddafi? Simply because Gaddafi want to issue and supported the African dinar, the African independent currency, because he wanted to uh, create the uh, African Union, uh, uh, the, like European Union. So that's the problem of those leaders, because they were independent, because they had a plan, they have a, 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 a vision, they want to liberate their country from any uh, outside influence. That's why they paid a heavy price for that. And not only them, but also the people, their people. Why the Libyan actually suffered under, under, because of this uh, NATO invasion, because of this NATO bombing? Why, for example, the Iraqis suffered? Why two million Iraqi killed if they want to remove Saddam Hussein? They could do it by all means, but they want to destroy Iraq. They want to destroy the uh, Iraqi people. They want to humiliate them. So, and that's what happened. You know, when children actually don't find milk, don't find food and die of starvation, when women, they don't find anything to, their, to, to feed their children. That's what happened to Iraq. That's what is happening now to Syria, George. 
Why Syria is starving? People, they don't have gas, they don't have mazot, they don't have diesel, they don't have electricity, they don't have food, they don't have bread, they don't have anything. And this is because the American want to humiliate the Syrian people. There are about 30 million Syrian now. Literally, George is starving. There is no medicine at all. There is no medical care. Why the American do that? You say it is Caesar uh, law which we have to impose in Syria. Oh, why are you imposing it? So, well, I, I, I cannot remember. I cannot understand why they are doing it. Uh, uh, Trump admitted that they spent $90 billion in order to destroy Syria. He said it by his tongue. And also the, uh, the Qatari foreign minister, Hamad bin Jassim, said we spent $136 billion in Syria to change the regime in Syria. So why they are doing that? You know, it is it is American dictation. It is American instruction. But now the Americans are paying a very heavy price in Europe. Now they are paying a very heavy price in Ukraine. Now they use the Ukrainian people as as a shield, as as a, you know, uh, as a, you can say, as a, a tool in order to destroy Russia. Why why they want to destroy Russia? Why they want to starve Russian people? Why they want to impose sanction in in China? Why we cannot live together in equal footing? Why we cannot live in peace in our world? Why they are dragging us to a nuclear war in order to destroy us? They, they, I don't know. They didn't have enough of bloodshed in Iraq, in Libya, in Syria, and in, in other places in Iraq. Yeah. Why? Why they are thirsty for our blood? They don't have enough. I am asking you, George. Well, look, uh, we've only a few minutes left, so let me ask you this. Now, Russia, and especially China, are big powers in the Arab Middle East, and not in the, in the usual suspect countries, not in Algeria, not in Syria. Russia and China are now big powers in Saudi Arabia, in the United Arab Emirates. The Saudi king just invited the president of Iran to make a state visit to Riyadh. The tectonic plates are shifting massively and not to the benefit of Britain or America, am I right? George, you are absolutely right. You know, in the Middle East, we used to have the people against the United States. We have to use the governments against the United States and Europe. For the first time, there is a unity between the governors and the people. So imagine Saudi Arabia, which actually used to be a, a you know ocean of influence of the American of the West and the Middle East. It used to be the major ally of the West and the Middle East. Now Saudi Arabia, you are absolutely correct. Saudi Arabia are going to China, going to Russia. First they signed OPEC Plus with Russia, and then now they are establishing a strategic relation with Russia. We have seen the uh, Russia the, with the China, the Chinese leader coming to visit Saudi Arabia in last December, and he was uh, he he was received in red carpet in that country, and they have he had about three summit, summit with the Saudi, summit with the Gulf leaders, summit with the Arab leaders. Now, the, you know, the Arabs are fed up 
of the lies of the West. They don't trust the West anymore. They don't trust them. They don't trust their democracy. They don't trust their weapons. Look at that. American weapons were defeated in Yemen. You know, the Patriot was actually humiliated in, Yemen, in, in, in Saudi Arabia when the Yemeni attacked them. So now the people saying, why shall we go to the West? We had enough. Eight years of Western domination of the Middle East has to, to end. And now they are turning to China. They are turning to Russia. The Russia never invaded their countries. China never occupied their countries. You know, they're always supporting their people. Russians signed agreement with Iran. Four hundred uh, billion dollars will be invested by China in, in, in Iran. The same thing, you know, billions, hundreds of billions of dollars, Chinese dollars invested on Africa. No, they are helping people. They are not killing people. How many people in the Middle East were killed by China? How many people in the Middle East were killed by Russia? That's the, the big question. But there are millions killed by the West. But, you know, why the Palestinians are suffering? Why now they, you know, they are turning to armed struggle? Simply because 30 years of negotiation under the American umbrella with the Israeli, you know, the outcome was ridiculous. Nothing at all. No independent state. No good life. No work. No proper, uh, yeah, uh, 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 no proper water. No proper electricity. No services at all. So that's the problem. You know, the problem is when we say that. They don't like it. They banned us. Say, no, 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 no. You know, don't bring Barry Atwan to the BBC anymore. Don't bring Barry Atwan to ITV anymore. We don't want to see Barry Atwan on Channel 4. You know, that's what no Barry Atwan CNN. They don't want this to be seen. They want people to lie. They want people hypocrite. That's the problem. You and me and all people like us will never be hypocrite. We never. will continue. Never, never. I promise you, George. We know each other for years, as you mentioned. We are still young and we're still talkative. And we will actually confront them by truth, by figures, God willing, by facts. God willing. Here's to the next 40 years. Abdel Bari Atwan, thank you very much indeed for being with us on the mother of all talk shows. Will the arrest of President Trump produce calm, chaos, or a Trump landslide? Get voting on Twitter, on YouTube, on the Telegram channel, t.me forward slash George Galloway, or on the YouTube community poll. I discovered, or one of my friends did, a long lost copy of my Big Ben to Baghdad film. That's the film about my epic journey across so many countries and so many thousands of kilometers on board a red London bus, a 1963 Routemaster. It was narrated by the Oscar-winning actress Julie Christie. I thought it was gone forever, just some faded copies of it uh, on YouTube. But the director, Chris James, discovered the tape and has applied AI, which I'm told is artificial intelligence, to the copy and it is beginning to look utterly brand new. So I hope that we'll play it next Sunday. Not while I'm in China, because that'll be technically a bit more difficult. But next Sunday, uh, we'll play it. We're going to be talking about the invasion of Iraq and its occupation for a very long time. God willing. But let's hear about 
that very same Iraq war from Michael in Seattle. Always welcome, Michael. What would you like to say? The indefatigable George Galloway. What's more? Thank you. That's me. It's a great honor That's and, a, me. and a privilege. I've um, always thought indefatigable was a great word, and most people can't even say it. <laughs> that was that was the test, exactly, <laughs> if I could even <laughs> pass it along to you. But listen, before I get to the direct point on the Iraq war, let me just say thank you for the for the the, the shout-out about not only your film, but I love Route Masters. I lived in London in 1979 and um, was quite the best rascal bus, on them. Just best bus them. ever I, built. Best I, yeah, exactly. bus ever built. And, and I love that there would be a driver and a ticket taker. I just, I love the whole concept of having two people on the bus. And with the idea that, and also let me just say, the, uh, Abdul Bari Atwan was just an eloquent, uh, a beautiful man, and if you're just Passionate, not compassionately yeah. moved by yeah. what he has to say, I think me you too, yeah. really don't have a heart. Yeah. So, yeah, exactly. but let me say this: when the Iraq War, you know, was started, um, I, I knew, you know, um, uh, 20 years ago that it was obvious. It was easily to see that it was a lie. And what my concern is, is that those who participated in its destruction, in Iraq's destruction, are are now being interviewed for their insights into the great mistake. And it's, and forgive the analogy, but it would be like interviewing government functionaries and Wehrmacht officers after the fact that they should have known that their, their participation was a great, you know, to paraphrase Hannah Arendt, a, a banal evil. So in one respect, I'm a little bit concerned that people who were in the government and in the military, and have said that they've served there, are not necessarily called out with some type of mea culpa. And I'm not, I'm not asking for a purity test, but some type of information to say, listen, I participated in this great evil, and it was a mistake, and it was a mistake. And, it's, and I'll just say it was frustrating for those of us who knew at the time. Yeah, that's true. That's true, Michael. But the, every day, I think I can say every day, someone says to me in writing or verbally, that uh, they had strongly opposed me over the Iraq war, strongly supported Tony Blair, and they now recognize that Blair was wrong and I was right. Uh, secondly, I don't know if you saw uh, the clip from Tucker Carlson this week, in which he's being interviewed by a young man uh, on some kind of uh, hipster radio or television. It's a very, very powerful interview. Uh, and uh, it deserves to be seen and heard by everyone. But amongst many other powerful points that Tucker Carlson made, and he made this three times, and triptychs are important, biblically, ideologically, rhetorically, a triptych is important. Three times, he says, how ashamed he is of having supported the Iraq war. Now, if that's true of Fox News's main man, just imagine how many people that applies to. Thanks, Michael. Svetlana is in Philadelphia on the Putin charges. Svetlana, welcome to the show. Hi, Hi. George. Hi. Oh, I just immensely, immensely uh, appreciate you for what you're doing for the world. I Thank actively you. follow you on Twitter and comment on uh, your tweets and this has become like my mission 
you know, I just want to express my messages. Outrage about this ICC uh, warrant, arrest warrant against uh, President Putin. As a Russian-American who, um, I'm a citizen of both countries and I live in Philadelphia and St. Petersburg, I just have to say how much Putin has done for Russia. I just want the world to hear that. Uh, we knew what was going on uh, in Ukraine uh, because of this, uh, uh, what was outlined in the RAND Corporation report, how to extend Russia, and we uh, know what that means. And what does it even mean, how to extend Russia, right? Uh, in the 90s, right before Putin, I just want to share this, my personal observation from my apartment window on Nevsky Prospect, which is the central street of St. Petersburg, uh, young prostitutes were brought out into the streets for work uh, by cops who were waiting for them in their vehicles openly in broad daylight every day. Putin is demonized in the West, I know, but he has saved Russia. And he has done so much for Russia, the infrastructure, the services, uh, the lives of the regular people, and uh, it's Russia is fighting alone against the unholy Western alliance, and they just doesn't want to admit that the so-called unipolar world is over. And it's so important that people like you, and people who have the weight in the world, like Mike Jones, who we actually the Earl Grey, we met with him in St. Petersburg last summer when my husband and I traveled to Russia, which we do every year. And like I said, I live in both countries. And we met with Mike, and we know how fired up he is to do whatever he can to get that message across, to take it to the people. And it, I, never before has it been so important. I just wanted to express my outrage and at the same time my deepest thanks you, well, you, you did express it uh, so beautifully and so powerfully. I'm not going to add to it. I'm sure we're going to clip it uh, and uh, put it out as a clip, as a wonderful clip. And I'm sure we're going to put it metaphorically in a bottle and sail it, send it across the oceans. Because everyone has to hear the point of view of a Russian-American woman called Svetlana in Philadelphia. Thanks for the call. Now, I didn't even ask for them, but these wonderful suggestions for the names of new American battleships keep coming in. Uh, the proximate reason was the grotesque decision by the Department of Defense in the USA to call their new battleship uh, Fallujah. Fallujah, a city in Iraq, was the site of the greatest war crime of the 21st century. And they're calling a battleship after their own war crime, whilst demanding that Putin be put on trial for war crimes. But they, uh, this set, uh, everyone, everyone started sending in other names that the U.S could come up with. Jack Klugman, for example, <laughs> says the USS depleted uranium because, of course, it's depleted uranium fired illegally into Fallujah, which is causing the multiple and horrific birth defects until now being suffered 
by little babies in the hospitals of Fallujah. Bob Cosmic says, the USS sinking slowly. That's very, very good. Uh, Lorshek Molse says, the USS Wall Street is broke again. James Graham says, uh, the, uh, no, I think this is uh, on Kangaroo Court. The USS International Kangaroo Court. Dante Allegri, uh, the US of amnesia, forever wars never learn. Fantastic. Let's go back to the lines and hear from Alan in Murray, I think, in Scotland on the Iraq war. Alan. I'd like to ask you, George, the last war was ended with two nuclear detonations. Do you think it might take two nuclear detonations to end this war? I think there'll be a lot more than two if it happens. Um, It will start with uh, an exchange of battlefield nuclear weapons, quickly extending into pan-European intermediate range uh, nuclear weapons and end in, uh, in a final blaze of inglory uh, in the exchange of intercontinental ballistic missiles. Uh, as, Chinese, as the Chinese leadership put it, uh, we recognize that the United States can destroy China many times over. We, however, are content to only be able to destroy the United States once. Last word to you, Alan. What do you think? Well, I think it might take two because if one is launched, the world might see what what's going to happen, and there may be too late to stop a retaliation. But I think once they see what's going to happen, they'll see the madness and stop. So it may take two. Well, you've got more uh, confidence uh, than me. My only hope. I was saying this to someone in my studio. I was making a show yesterday for uh, Al Maidin Television in Lebanon. Uh, I, I, I put it uh, this way, that the weapons that we have are a thousand times more powerful than the bombs that were dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And we have, between Russia, the United States, and China, approximately 10,000 nuclear weapons. 10,000 weapons, each a thousand times more powerful than the 1945 weapons that uh, brought to a close the Second World War. Just imagine if that lot goes up. Alan, thanks for that call. Let's go to David in Swindon in England. Go ahead, David. Yeah, I'd like to talk about the international court. Yes, go ahead. The mainstream media you've just mentioned. Anybody watching the mainstream media would think that the whole world is against Putin. Mm. But if you look at the maths, which I like to do, um, there are 195 countries in the world, 123 are signed up to the uh, criminal court, which means 72 are not. Okay? Yeah. But if you look at the maths of the figures, the countries that are not in the court are China, India, you've only got 3 billion there, our friends in the USA, North Korea, Saudi Arabia, not forgetting Israel and South Africa. So if you add up all those other figures, 
the vast majority of the world does not subscribe to the international court. So my proposal for your university, the Airways, is why don't some of the bigger um, countries get together and form their own world criminal court? You're on, you're on to one of my favourite subjects, David. Why, why can't we have a YouTube? Why can't we have a Facebook? Why can't we have a Twitter? Why can't we have a United Nations? Why can't we have an international criminal court? Why, to paraphrase the Salvation Army at the beginning of the 20th century, why should the devil have all the best tunes? Anybody can make a Facebook. It's only a blackboard that people write on. Why do we have to allow Nick Clegg and Mark Zuckerman to decide what we can read and what we can write? Let's go into the business of making parallels. You've got a, a, an international court that the great majority of the people of the world have want nothing to do with, including the United States of America. So we'll have, a, we'll have our international criminal court. You have a Eurovision that bans people. We'll have a different vision, a moat's vision. Why let the devil have all the best tunes? It's one of my most repeated refrains. David, last word to you. She phoned up at about five to seven this evening. I knew you'd be talking about it. And I've been on the boil all day thinking about this hypocrisy. Yeah, let's have our own world criminal court and let's take Blair and the Abergrade. Yeah, exactly. People. We could try him. We could try him in absentia. Yeah. And yeah. if he sets foot in uh, Russia or China or Saudi Arabia, who paid him rather a large sum of money over the last 20 years, uh, then we can have him arrested. That's what the German minister says he's going to do to Vladimir Putin. You've got to laugh. David, or you would cry. Uh, David, thank you for that call. Coming up after this short break, it's the one and only low key. You don't want to miss it, I assure you. Stay tuned. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. You are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway. There were so many great speeches at the No to NATO event uh, that they tried so hard to ban. It might be thought invidious to select one of them as the greatest, but I had no compunction about doing so. The best speech in the entire day in a galere of big and good speakers came from Loki. It was a tour de horizon, of course, talking about the Middle East, uh, from whence his ancestors come, 
but talking about the world in a way that frankly would have been uh, an impressive speech at the United Nations itself, would have been a speech that would have knocked them out in Harvard or Yale or Oxford. This young man ain't just a rapper, although he's a very good rapper. He is Loki. Loki, welcome to the uh, show. I want to talk about the anniversaries first, if I may, um, because uh, it's 20 years, Iraq. It's 12 years, Libya. These people who committed these crimes are still walking freely amongst us. In fact, they're threatening other people with trial rather than facing trial themselves. How does that make you feel? Well, firstly, George, thank you so much for the very, very kind introduction. To start with, as you did state, I am of Iraqi origin. Family members who lived through the war are still living with the trauma and the imprint that that has had on their lives. Of course, when we think about that period of time, no one more than you would know that it was a decision that split many people and even split the British elite at that time. You saw in the first month of occupation, the US dropped 29,000 bombs on Iraq. And even before the occupation began, you had the largest no-bid contract in US history, one by, without competition clearly, by a uh, company called uh, Kellogg Brown and Root, which was a subsidiary of Halliburton, of which the vice president, uh, formerly before he became vice president, Dick Cheney, was a director of. You know, throughout the occupation, you saw one in 25 Iraqis displaced, and you saw over a million people killed. You know, the opposition to the Iraq war was so massive that you saw 36 million people across 3,000 demonstrations globally protest against it. We're talking about a 20 years after that, when on average the United States and its allies were dropping 46 bombs per day and displacing between 37 and 59 million people. This has been a massively destructive two decades of human history, but there have been winners and there have been companies and individuals that have benefited massively from this. And for me, of course, when looking at the juxtaposition that you have of those like yourself, like Julian Assange, like others who oppose these wars with every fiber in their being, having paid the price for that opposition. And people like Alistair Campbell or George Bush or Tony Blair, seemingly more humanized than ever and more oracleized than ever. These are the people treated in our mainstream society as if they are holders of deep, profound wisdom, when in fact, the human carnage and suffering that has been left in their trail is still there for the world to see. And yet it is ignored in such a horrific way. You look at Fallujah, for example, this was a place where the inhabitants took to the streets to demonstrate against the US military occupying a primary school. And the US military fired upon them. And then it led to a series of events which saw depleted uranium and white phosphorus used 
in Fallujah. And now you have a 38-fold increase in leukemia, a 10-fold increase in breast cancer. And daily, you see children being born with all form of deformities and difficulties. And, you know, this is the legacy of this war, you know, and, and we have to always remind these uh, political figures of the human cost of what they have done and hold them to account. This was the looting of uh, a 4,000-year-old civilization, the basis of so much humanity, which was desecrated by these ghouls. Such a powerful uh, statement. Uh, I'm almost loath to, uh, to take you back uh, a little, but I, I feel I must. Um, the, the, the people who did all this are not only, of course, now vastly richer for the most part, uh, I've no doubt Dick Cheney got a handsome reward for the no-bid contracts that he handed out. Tony Blair uh, is richer than Cretius with uh, something like 50 properties throughout the world. Even his 30-year-old son is a multi-millionaire. Uh, a complete transformation in the lives of these uh, people. And, of course, the journalists and broadcasters that told us that uh, not only was it inescapable, but it was a good thing, uh, are still uh, pontificating today about other conflicts. But they're forced to say something on the 20th anniversary. So they have opted for it was a mistake. Uh, that, of course, uh, sanitizes them from having committed a crime. Uh, it was a mistake. It was a blunder, but it was also a crime. And a criminal blunder is, by definition, something you should pay for, isn't it? Absolutely. And, you know, one of the things that we've also found is the companies that benefited from some of the most ugly parts of these wars. So, for example, Lockheed Martin, which was employed to interrogate people at Guantanamo Bay, later in 2010 carried out the census in England. You then have a company like Khaki International, which was implicated in the torture of Ghraib, was given a, a big contract for that. It later went on to deliver the census in Scotland. You look at another company like Palantir, which was founded for intelligence operations in the territories the US has, had occupied as part of the war on terror. And they now seem to have access to our NHS data. So what we actually see is the way the society has absorbed into it many of those companies that, in some cases, like the case of Palantir, were basically set up to service the war on terror. And, you know, the interesting thing about the role that our media played is it almost seemed like a new thing. But actually, when we look at the the one of the founders and the first director general of MI5, it was Vernon Kell. Now, Vernon Kell, simultaneous to being an intelligence officer, was actually a correspondent for the Daily Telegraph um, at that time. So what you have is this way in which we are governed by a media government uh, complex, which works in this weird symbiotic way and is able to astroturf all these kind of ideas within the society to lead us to basically give our consent to these policies 
which we should oppose it on many different levels. You know, you also have to remember that one of the things that was carried out in Iraq was economic shock therapy, particularly in the first year or so of the occupation under the CPA. You know, you've seen actually huge, huge theft take place at that time. And even the auditor, which was appointed by the US government to examine the count, the accounts of that period, found that at least 12 billion of revenue, which was appropriated by the uh, coalition regime, had not even been adequately accounted for. You saw many other examples where U.S. administrators of part uh, administrators as part of the CPA were taking part in serious acts of theft in Iraq. You saw Paul Bremer issue 100 legally binding orders. And within those orders, some of them were the deregulation of the labor market, the eradication of import tariffs and trade barriers, the reformed banking sector, which allowed for Iraq's um, banking sector to be completely owned by foreign companies. You saw um, the Order 39 particularly, which allowed for the privatization of over 200 state-owned enterprises. Now, according to Article 55 of the Hague Regulations, it is illegal for an occupying country to privatize the country that it occupies assets. And that's what took place. So there's so many different layers of illegality which happened uh, during this uh, this period. You literally saw overnight over 50% of the workforce in Iraq become unemployed and the country largely industrialized. They stopped using pesticides, which killed the date trees, which meant that you know, it takes 15 years for date trees to mature, and they are only just um, re-establishing re themselves in the date market. They crushed the leather industry, for example, um, literally going from 200,000 people being employed to 20,000 people being employed. They completely eviscerated the society, George. Uh, when we say that they killed a million people in Iraq, uh, some of them, most of them run away, but some of them... Uh, say, no, it wasn't us that killed a million people in Iraq. Uh, many of those, perhaps three quarters of them, were uh, Iraqis killing Iraqis. But the truth is, the impact of the invasion and the practice of the occupation, particularly in Bremer's uh, period, but not uh, exclusively so, deliberately set about the process, ancient British Empire process of divide and rule. They set Iraqis upon Iraqis as a matter of deliberate policy, didn't they? Absolutely. And that is something that we have seen them do again and again. You know, the, the British used um, Ireland as a laboratory for so many of these ways of working on people and psychological warfare. And of course, that was carried out in Iraq. At the time of the formation of the governing council, they had a quota of how many from each denomination would be taken. And, you know, unfortunately, even the Iraqi Communist Party uh, participated in that uh, uh, pantomime uh, of a political process. And, you know, what you also saw on top of this, George, is reparations not given to Iraqis, but reparations given to U.S. 
companies. So, for example, you had companies like Halliburton receive $18 million in reparations from the U.S. government for supposed losses that they had suffered during the pre-2003 time. Bechtel were given $7 million in reparations. Um, ExxonMobil were given $2.3 million. Shell were given $1.6 million. Nestle were given $2.6 million. Pepsi were given $3.8 million. Philip Morris, the cigarette company, got a million point three dollars of Iraqi money as reparations for supposedly lost income. Even Israeli farmers got $8 million and Israeli travel agencies and hotels got $15 million. You know, this was really a thieves banquet of the highest order. I can't make up my mind. I'm sure the audience uh, will know what I mean. Whether I'd like to see you performing or in parliament, in politics or in <laughs> art. Uh, how, how are you going to be able as an artist and as a performer to, well, I don't know, keep your temper? Uh, there's so much to be so angry about. Do you find that this anger uh, that you feel uh, easily uh, translates onto the stage, into your art? I think it can do. But, you know, George, as you know, the parameters of political possibility in our society have grown smaller and smaller across these last 20 years. You know, I remember growing up and being deeply inspired, seeing you on BBC Question Time or seeing you uh, just absolutely demolishing um, any interviewer that was put in front of you who was always adversarial. You know, whether it was speaking on Cuba or defending uh, Hugo Chavez, or of course, uh, supporting the Palestinians. You know, this was something that all of us in our community, we saw and we grew up with and we loved. But we also saw what was done to you within this political system. We saw what was done to Corbyn within this political system. And we also saw the wider push across the society of sort of thought policing, specifically of young Middle Eastern and Muslim youth within British society. So it became harder and harder for us to see any opportunity to really participate directly in the political processes that exist here. And that space has become smaller and smaller. So in a way, music being the, uh, you know, they say politics is the art of the possible. Well, music could be the art of the impossible in that we are able to speak more frankly and more directly to the powers that be through the music. So yeah, I'm sure there is a relationship there between the, the feeling of passion that can go into the music, for sure. May God always strengthen you. Thank you very much indeed, Loki. A quite splendid, terrific interview that will live on, I think. Uh, will the arrest of President Trump produce calm? 9%. Chaos? 37%. A Trump landslide? 54%. And that's just on Twitter. On YouTube, calm 7%. Chaos, 43%. A Trump landslide, 50%. On my Telegram channel, calm, 5%. Chaos, 42%. A Trump landslide, 53%. And on YouTube community, where alone 12,000 people have voted, calm, 6%. Chaos, 41%. Landslide, 53%. Wow. Michael Quinn says, great to hear from Low Key. 
The man has my ultimate respect. Mine too. Eggy Bread says, Loki the legend. Thanks for having him on, George. Constance Arens, Loki is educated, aware, truly humanist. It just shows. After this short break, the rest of the show is your calls. Stay tuned. You are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway. Norman is in Manchester. On you go, Norman. Hi, George. How are you doing? All good, thanks. What would you like to say? Yeah, thanks for taking my call. A couple of things. I appreciate your show as it's a beacon of truth in the fog of false information at the moment. Um, now, there was a saying, I think it was Einstein who actually said that, uh, the definition of insanity is trying the same thing over and over again and expecting a yeah. different result. And yeah. that was tied into what you said earlier. America keeps trying this and trying that and expecting a different result. So, mm. you know, there you are, insanity on, on their part. Mm. Um, secondly, this war in Ukraine seemed to drag on and on. And I personally think that the West want to test their weapons out. Now, obviously, there have been wars before, but they've not had a, an enemy or they've not had an opponent like Russia to test out their weapons. And I think they'll just carry on doing that until they get up to the nuclear threshold and then maybe back off. What do you think? Uh, it's possible. Uh, the testing of their weapons isn't going very well. Uh, it's undoubtedly true now. You can tell that by the operation of the capitalist market that uh, Russian weapons are better than Western weapons and uh, perhaps more pertinently, not just better, but uh, far more plentiful and far more easy to produce with the ability to produce in short order vast amounts of ordnance that Western uh, de-industrialized countries are simply unable to do, hence the armories of all the NATO countries are more or less bare. And the Ukrainians are still screaming out for more. And we hear, you know, promises of things announced. It's a bit like, you know, Tony Blair paved the way to this. He was a master at making announcements of things that wouldn't actually happen for some years into the future. But he got all the publicity for them now. Uh, long before anyone could ever see or touch them. Well, the same is true of so many of these weapons uh, announcements that have been made. Tanks, uh, guns, this, that. And then you discover they'll actually not arrive until the end of the year, the middle of next year and so on. The war will be over by then, Norman. Uh, That I'm absolutely certain of. In fact, if, if, uh, if they're not careful, and I'm not calling for this, I hope this does not happen. But actually, that German MP or minister that threatened to arrest Vladimir Putin, he might get a chance to do it sooner than he thought. Uh, thanks, Norman. Uh, Vasia Neoklios says in 1992, 30 years ago exactly, And accurately, Fidel Castro said the next war in Europe will be between Russia and fascism. Only fascism will then be called democracy. 
Fidel, how we miss you. Uh, Dante Allegri uh, says, uh, if the real Dante, the original Dante, rewrote his novel, he'd surely add a tenth circle of hell for the Albrights, the Kissingers, the Obamas, the Blairs. A new level of perfidy and horror has emerged since the Middle Ages. Beautifully put Dante in the style of the original Dante. Very well said indeed. 18,219 people have now voted in that poll. Let's see if we can get it up to 20,000, shall we? Uh, It's the case that a clear majority, 55, 50, 53, 53, think that arresting Trump on Tuesday will produce a landslide. And only nine, seven, five, and six think it will bring calm to the United States. Let's hear if Gavin in Oklahoma agrees or not. Gavin, welcome to the show. Yeah, I just wanted to discuss a couple of the Trump indictment in connection to the Ukraine war. I mean, uh, it's clear now for uh, nearly a year now that Trump has been in a full-throated uh, opposite in opposition to the NATO war and conflict. And mm-hmm. really, uh, I would think his presidency was not only robbed in 2020, but I think the entire presidency, all four years, was robbed because of the Ukraine because of the Ukraine con- because the entire Ukraine conflict has been planned out for a decade plus since the February 2014 uh, coup, and uh, it's. Uh, I mean, it's pretty. At this point, I would say this. Uh, it's it, at this point, indicting him now over a uh, misdemeanor at most. At worst, uh, is all. So it's the number one – many reasons behind it, but the uh, number one reason is that they want him returning to the presidency. Uh, last-ditch effort to put him returning to the presidency it's a, it's a, because it would mean the end of their uh, – Yeah, the I, I think that's, uh, that's obviously clear, uh, Jonathan. The question is, will it work? Now, our poll uh, suggests that it will not uh, work. What's your take on the ground in Oklahoma? Uh, what do you think your neighbors um, will think if they see President Trump in handcuffs? Well, uh, I live. Uh, well, I live. Uh, nor- I live. Uh, well, I don't tell you that. It's. Uh, I live. Uh, living in. I live in a living in a blood red state. Eight where uh, Trump won every count. Every every all seventy seven counties twice. I think it'll. It'll. He won. He won the state by thirty three points. I live in Washington County, just north of uh, Tulsa. Uh, 40, uh, Forty minutes. North of Tulsa, I live in an uh, outside town called Bartlesville, well, and, uh, and uh, I've been I've, li- I've been I lived in a, a Republican leaning uh, a Republican uh, lived, uh, I was raised in a Republican Christian uh, household, and I've become a little uh, independent, uh, independent my or uh, dissident, independent oriented in my my in my, in my outlook. And something else to bring up, I think it, it, this the Trump indictment and all that it, it, Biden got after him over his opposition to the Ukraine war has shades of the Woodrow Wilson conv- uh, confined and convicting uh, Eugene Debs uh, for his opposition to the First World War, uh, U.S. entry into, into World War One. A, lo- a lot of uh, it's sort of it is sort of uh, strange, uh, strange. Uh, and he was and Eugene Debs was ironically pardoned by Warren Harding after he was elected president in uh, 1920. Yeah, Debs ran for president from a prison cell. Maybe Trump will do the same. Jonathan, thanks for the call. Uh, Just before we go back to the lines, let me uh, remind you 
that we really are hoping that you will join us on Rumble. Rumble has far less censorship than the other uh, platforms, uh, and we're hoping that you'll sign up for it. So sign up, then search George Galloway and follow and like our page, please. Because you never know, we might, in the end, end up only on Rumble. It's not what we want, but when I look at the way in which the owners of the other platforms are behaving, and worse and worse, my own wife couldn't tag me a tweet tonight because I'm shadow banned. My own wife was unable to tag me on Twitter, Elon Musk. You're responsible. Don't blame it on the intelligence services. Don't blame it on the old guard that you've rooted out. The buck stops with you now. And you know that this case is headed for the four courts in Dublin. And yet you're intensifying your censorship of me? Intensifying it? Don't bother making an offer of a fleet of Teslas, Elon. It's going to be you and me personally in court in Dublin. That'll be fun. Simon in London wants to talk about the US election. Go ahead, Simon. How you doing, George? You okay? All good, my friend. What would you like to say? Well, in your first poll this week, you've asked what will Trump's arrest produce in the United States election. And my answer to that is not very much. And here's why. Um, people seem seduced by the fact that Biden is a useless idiot um, who doesn't know his backside to his elbow uh, in, in polite terms and who's responsible for countless blunders during his tenure as president, including the disastrous war in Ukraine. However, in the 2020 election, just even though people knew, a lot of the media networks knew about what he was going to do, with regards to Russia and, of course, the Hillary Clinton scandal and what their plans were, every, look how quickly every single network, including Murdoch's Fox News network, uh, uh, all claimed Trump's, Trump's been soundly beaten. I think uh, there was a report whereby Murdoch had ditched Trump on the night and the, the Trump was very upset with that, you know. I mean, sure, Tucker Carlson, I like Tucker Carlson, he seems to hate Biden, but remember, M M Murdoch has his fingers in every pie, you know. Remember, this is the same man who's... Uh, um, who supported the Iraq war, the original neocon, you know, the original neocon alliance that supported Iraq war, and very staunchly, my add as well. So, I and, think and, and got Tony Blair elected. He got yes, Tony Blair elected. Yeah, and not only and that. Then, and then yes. Tony Blair uh, was the cause of his divorce. Yes, well, that's what I was going to bring up, believe it or not, George. He's, he's so... <laughs> Uh, what's the word? He's so into this neocon thing that he could have destroyed Tony Blair. Because remember, it was it was during the um, uh, during I think 2016 when Tony Blair had that um, inquiry against him. Was it was it the Chilcot inquiry? The Chilcot, yes. Inquiry, yes. Yeah. He got caught out and he had to apologize and so on. The Sun newspaper would have torn him a new ass, I'm sorry to say, but they didn't. They they just left. Uh, effectively, he, he, he said his sorries and goodbyes and that was it. You know, didn't apologize to any of the families in the Iraq war and what have you. So to me, it just shows that not much will change. What what Murdoch is doing, like I said, he's got his fingers in every pie, specifically um, the, the, uh, the neoconservative pie. The, the neocons are very... Yeah. <laughs> 
uh, involved in everything in America. There was a time when the Republican Party was a purely business party, which were, whereby shopkeepers and ordinary people supported them. This is in the 1800s and so on. And then uh, the Democrats, who were more Trotskyite, no one supported them. But something happened probably in the late 1800s to 1900s, and people from the Democratic Party, who had Democratic principles, started joining the Republican Party, and hence the term neocon was formed. These guys weren't actually Democrat, the Republicans as such. They were actually Democrats in disguise. You're seeing that, but, but nowadays you see that very openly. You know, every part, regardless of whether you support Republican and Democrat, they're pretty much the same thing. Trump, despite all his faults, Trump was uh, against the wars. He didn't start any new wars at all, and he, he, um, uh, he and, and Perhaps that's why they hate him so much, you know, and perhaps that's why they're uh, they're uh, now trying to push him out and do everything that is possible. But it does go to show a lot of things with, with regards to Murdoch, though. Why is it that he didn't do anything to Tony Blair? Does he care about, uh, does he make so much profit from these wars that he cares more about the fact that his wars are, are, are being reported on as he wants them to be, as opposed to his relationship with his wife and Tony Blair? Or is he just an old cuckold? Well, uh, he's 93 now. I don't suppose he's much concerned about uh, his profits. Uh, he is uh, a creature of, uh, of the right. He's a thoroughgoing reactionary, uh, except when it comes to uh, personal matters. Uh, and he has ruthlessly, for half a century or more, uh, used his media power to make and break uh, political figures, and he made Tony Blair. Tony Blair might well never have been the Prime Minister of Britain if Murdoch and his then huge media empire hadn't embraced him. Simon, that was a very, very good call. Thank you for making it. Now back to the lines. Lester is in Maryland and wants to talk about Putin and Ukraine. Lester, welcome to the show. Thank you, George Galloway. Good evening, and thank you so much. I'm honored for you to have me on, on here live talking to the whole world. Uh, and, you know, I, the, I, my best guess for this new meeting coming up with Xi and Putin is that, I, I, you know, we already have from the U.S. They're already talking about they're against any truce in Ukraine right now. And I believe that Xi and Putin will be presenting not only to the Ukraine, but to the UN and the rest of the world, a very sweet uh, peace deal that will, you know, pretty much make a lot of concessions for Ukraine to have uh, whatever sovereignty they have left. And and they're doing this, and I believe that they will do this because they are, they know, they know, well, at least she and Putin know that United States is not going to be for it. They're going to prove not only to their own government within their domestic uh, um, reign, but also to the world that the United States is indeed a belligerent state, warmongering state, and that they're, they're going to now, after they have all the evidence from the United States denying this very good peace deal offer, that they're going to now implement new strategies to deal with the United States, because now they have absolute evidence that there is only one way that uh, that this can end, and it's not going to end the way the United States wants. It's going to end in a way where the security of the whole of the humanity is, is a peace, and, you know, it's, it's in the new world, 
where where everyone can live in peace, and that's the absolute uh, something that the United States does not want. They want everyone in the world to be underneath their boot, and with this, they're going to prove not only to the world but to their own governments that, hey, look, the United States does not want any peace in this world. They only want war, and there is now a strategy that we must implement to not only defeat but humiliate the United States and disarm them from ever trying to implement what warmongering uh, plans they have. Well, look, uh, not only did the United States destroy the possibility of a peace agreement uh, in Ukraine, they sent the British Prime Minister as an errand boy in order to do it. Imagine that, how the mighty have fallen. Boris Johnson, Prime Minister as he then was of the United Kingdom, was sent on an errand to make sure that Zelensky got no further with the possibility of bringing the war to a negotiated end. Uh, Now, the polls closed. Will the arrest of President Trump produce calm, chaos, or a Trump landslide? And I've got to tell you that an average of, I think, 53% think it will bring about a Trump landslide. And between 36 and 43% think it will bring chaos, and only 6%, 7% perhaps, think it will bring calm to the United States. I really would love to get a call from somebody who thinks that arresting the last president of the United States is going to bring calm to that troubled uh, country. I really would like to know why someone voted for that, albeit so few. Fred is in Buxton also on the US. Go ahead, Fred. Hello, George. You feel like an old friend, but you're definitely my hero. Thank you, bro. I'm still celebrating Fulham's meltdown. Well, Uh, I have no idea what that was all about. It can only be that they hadn't looked at the uh, replay. (laughs) I mean, it could uh, not have been a more blatant penalty. And therefore, I, I, a more blatant red card. So why, why do you all, the rest of you, get red cards protesting about something that was obvious? I've never seen anything like it, George. But anyway, no, that I, I, was I'll tell you that. No, Fred, before we leave it, half the Fulham team should have been sent off. They were all well, jostling yeah. the referee. They were all pushing and screaming in the face of the referee. What is that about? Yeah. Anyway, go on. On to the big stuff. (laughs) So, a very quick fact um, that you probably know, but I'm going to, it needs to be public, really. So, since 1776, the 246 years that America has existed as a nation, 228 of those years, America has been at war with someone. And that is 93% of the time they have existed as a nation. That is amazing. Uh, I didn't know it. I knew it was a phenomenally high percentage, but I didn't know it was 93%. Well, have you any idea which were those golden years, few though they were, in which the <laughs> United States was not at war? Perhaps we should research that and talk again, Fred. 
Thanks I, for I your uh, call. It was yeah. A, yeah, go on. I suspect it was a very long time ago. <laughs> you and me both. <laughs> Thanks, so Fred. So perhaps, perhaps the USS 93% would be apt. Yeah, 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 very much so. There's lots of suggestions on that still coming in. Uh, the USS Iron Wolf, the USS Nord Stream, uh, Stephanie Caro uh, says the USS Agent Orange, that's the chemical weapon they drowned Vietnam in. Keith Corbett Butler says the USS Anthrax. And Tom McTeague says the USS LGBTQFHSLBYZ. <laughs> I don't know if that's the new acronym. Check out the picture of the Prime Minister of Luxembourg uh, that I just saw. <laughs> on Twitter. I'm not sure which of the couple was the Prime Minister of Luxembourg, but it's a sight for sore eyes, I must say. Bushwriter, can I read this? It's so funny, but the USS Stormy, <laughs> the USS Stormy Daniels, full of seamen. Last call goes to a legend. 85 years young is Norma in Bristol. Go ahead, Norma. Hello, George. Um, I used to hear um, the pattern of Abdul Bariatra and uh, the knowledge of Loki, but what we're not told is about the human suffering that's still in Iraq. And after the use of this, was it uranium, depleted uranium, children still born with deform de deformities and this legacy, George, really does, it needs some coverage, but it won't be. And it's very frustrating, and people are kept so ignorant, and I'm fed up with it. Well, you're right to be, uh, but all I can say, Norma, is that uh, although there's a lot of ignorant people, uh, there are fewer ignorant people around than there used to be. In other words... Whilst those who know are relatively small in number, they're larger than they have ever been, and they are growing. How else could uh, a kick in the backside of 1.2 million people be watching this show every week? Uh, how else could uh, our petition to try and stop Tony Blair becoming a, uh, a knight of the garter have uh, obtained a million signatures, more or less, just like that. Uh, how, e how else could the political class be more or less discredited in our country now if it were not for the fact that more people know more than they ever have? We've still got a long way to go, Norma. Yeah, you have. But, but thee and me uh, lived in a time when the media was owned by a half a dozen men and where there were no means by which uh, the ordinary person could find the truth. That means now exists. It's uh, therefore now up to us to persuade people to use it uh, and to eschew ignorance and go for knowledge instead. And I honestly believe we're winning, Norma. I believe yeah. the plates... <laughs> I do, yeah, the plates are shifting... In the Middle East, we heard it tonight, China and Russia, uh, Saudi yeah. Arabia and Iran, 
the, uh, the political landscape is shifting in front of our yeah. eyes and not in a good way for yeah. the United States and, and, and Britain and the other uh, empire countries. So I believe we're winning, Norma. We've just got to hold on. You and me have got to hold on 10 more years and we'll be home and dry. Of that, I am sure Norma and Bristol are uh, two names that will forever be uh, enjoined in the annals of the mother of all talk shows. Alas, we're now at the uh, end of the show and there's not really time for me to sum uh, what has been a great show up. Uh, just to tell you that I'll be, together with my good wife, Gayatri, getting up in the middle of the night on Wednesday to present the midweek mother of all talk shows from China. Uh, work out the time difference. It's eight hours on from the UK, uh, but you don't have to get up in the middle of the night. It will be at the normal time of 9 p.m. UK time. It's me and her that will be getting up in the middle of the night and our guests who'll be getting up in the middle of the night. So don't leave us standing on our own. Be there or be square. 9 p.m. on Wednesday for the midweek mother of all talk shows. And I'll be back again on Sunday uh, from China. I'll be back again for the normal mothership, 7 p.m. UK time on Sunday. And we'll be doing some more deep diving into the war crimes of the 21st century. I, it's been marvelous for me. I hope it was for you. Come back on Wednesday. Good night.